Welcome to Uncancelled Faith, a podcast that strives to break the culture of division, which so often segregates believers from one another. We're, We're your, your hosts, host, Joy Lucia Honeyball and Hannah Rose Russell. We're so excited to have you here today. This podcast is brought to you by Inspire Truth. Our mission at Uncancelled Faith is to create a space for people to share how the Lord is calling them to live, bringing a new perspective on subjects that so often become a topic of division. This is not a place for debate, but a time to share testimony, dive into some controversies, learn from one another, and discover how the Father wants to encourage us in our faith journeys. These episodes are recorded for the live Zoom audience. We also stream live on Facebook and YouTube, so be sure to subscribe to our channel for regular updates and the opportunity to join the Q&A at the end of each episode. Get ready, because Uncancelled Faith starts now. Today, we are honored to introduce our guest, Jordan Rayner, an entrepreneur and national best-selling author of Call to Create and Master of One. Welcome to Uncancelled Faith. How are you doing today? I'm great. It's a joy to be with you guys. Thank you for having me. For those of you who aren't familiar with you, Jordan, could you tell us a bit more about where you were from and when you invited Jesus into your heart? Yeah. So uh, my name is Jordan Rayner. I live in Tampa, Florida. Uh, and, you know, I, I didn't grow up in the church. I was, by God's grace alone, uh, the first generation Christian in my family. Um, my parents were Catholic, kind of in name only. Uh, and for some reason, they sent me to school to Christian school. And when I was seven years old through the ministry of that school, uh, I came to faith in Christ. And by God's grace, my parents and my brother also came to faith. Uh, through the ministry of that school. But I wouldn't say my, my faith became really serious to me until about college, uh, through the ministry of the, uh, of the college ministry I was a part of, uh, and then really through the writings of Tim Keller, which just helped me grasp the depth and the breadth of the gospel uh, for the really the first time in my life. Hmm. Wow, that's amazing. So what what would you say was the the charge, I guess, that really sparked your faith to, to live for God and to, and to really pursue a relationship with him? Yeah, I don't know if, I don't know if I can point to any one spark. I think it was just a gradual over time, recognizing that the gospel is not just the source of my one-time salvation. It is my day-to-day functional salvation, right? Uh, it's one thing to understand intellectually that Jesus died for your sins. It's another thing to wake up every day and realize that because the God of the universe died for me when I was his enemy, um, yeah, like that's the ultimate peace and rest and foundation that all of us are looking for in our lives. It's the thing that enables us to take big swings in our work. It's the thing that enables us to risk boldly. And as I talk about in this book, Redeeming Your Time, I also think it's the thing that enables us to be wildly productive because we realize we don't need to be productive, right? And that paradoxically makes us want to be productive, not because we need to do anything for God, but because we want to bring him pleasure and bring him joy. That's, it's so true. And and we're going to get to your book and, and we actually have a question specifically like that because that was such a pivotal part to remind ourselves that God hasn't called us like we're not called to be productive 
constantly. And that's how we're going to find our even redeem our salvation. So, um, but before we get there, we want to learn about you. So about five years ago, you left your traditional job as CEO of Threshold 360 and began Jordan Rayner and Company, teaching millions of people about the importance of removing ourselves from the center and living for the glory of God. We'd love to know how God led you on this unexpected path of being an entrepreneur and influencing so many people around the world. Yeah. So it's ironic, right? Because the work I do today uh, looks like full-time ministry, but all of my content is about convincing people who are not in full-time ministry (laughs) that their work is full-time ministry, right? It's like very ironic. So here's how this happened for me. Uh, This is a journey that started about five years into my career. Uh, I was in the process of exiting my second company that I had started, trying to figure out what I was going to do next. And when you sell two companies, the natural thing is to go start a third, right? It's kind of what you do. And so that was, that was kind of the plan. Uh, but then one Sunday, my wife and I were at church and we heard this guest preacher uh, preaching a very familiar sermon, unfortunately. It was a sermon I think a lot of us have heard that um, this guy was making me feel guilty about wanting to go start another business when there's a need for church planters around the world and people to go move into a mud hut 5,000 miles away from home to be a full-time missionary, my most hated term in the world, because I think we're all full-time missionaries. And so I sat there and I was just like, all right, well, maybe we shouldn't start a business. Maybe um, we should go plant a church. And so we started praying about that. And by the grace of God alone, I had this godly mentor in my life pulled me aside one day. He's like, hey, I think I heard you're thinking about planning a church. And I was expecting this guy to be like, that's amazing. Uh, Can I help? And instead he was like, that sounds really dumb. Uh, Really dumb. And this is a guy who like led Bible studies. Like I respect this guy. I was like, what are you talking about? He's like, Jordan, you're clearly a talented entrepreneur. You're clearly, uh, you clearly love the craft. Why do you think that you have to plant a church in order to do ministry? Like, don't you get that your work as an entrepreneur can be viewed as ministry. And I had no idea what this guy was talking about, but he took me back to the biblical text and showed me right there in Genesis one, that before God tells us that he is loving or holy or omnipotent, he tells us that he's a God who creates. He's a Mm -hmm. God who's productive. He's a God who works. And that just changed my life. Just viewing all work, all good work that's in accordance with God's word as ministry, as a means of service to the world. And so I obviously didn't go plant a church. Uh, I went and I ran another business, this business that you referenced a few minutes ago called Threshold, uh, which is still going strong today. Um, But yeah, I did eventually step down as CEO of that company because I'm so passionate about this message. I believe this is the key to unlocking just a much greater level of purpose in the lives of believers, helping them see that they're not The purpose of their salvation is not to sit back and wait for Jesus's return. We have been saved for good works. Paul says this explicitly in Ephesians 2.10. We have been created in Christ Jesus, i.e. redeemed by Christ. Uh, Why? For good works, which the Father prepared in advance for us to do. And a lot of times we hear these verses and we think, well, good works means evangelism and giving money to the poor. I would challenge you to go look up the Greek word we translate to good works in any Bible concordance. Uh, everyone I've ever found translates the word ergozon uh, that we translate to good works as, quote, work, task, and employment. 
right? Mm -hmm. So part of our response to the gospel is just to go to work tomorrow, go to work on Monday, do your work in accordance with God's commands, do it with excellence and genuine love of your neighbor above yourself. And that brings glory to the father. I think that's so interesting because we, you know, I mean, at least I don't tend to think of like um, the business world and the entrepreneurial space as like a Christian environment or even a Christian friendly environment. So um, I think it's super important um, the you know, the work that you're doing in that, um, in that sector. Um, it inspires me. I'm a, I'm a student composer and, um, you know, I spend a lot of my time around, um, secular musicians, composers, um, and that's the creative industry. You know, there's a lot of secularism there. So, um, I can definitely relate to, you know, that heavy call of just waking up in the morning and going into, that environment and trying to shine Jesus light as best you can. It's difficult for sure. It's difficult, but we're called to do difficult things as Christians, right? Like, like the we're Christian not life to is easy not life. an easy life, right? It's <laughs> not one of all. the hardest lives you could sign up for. Uh, but if we believe that this life is a rounding error, uh, and mm-hmm. I do in the context of eternity, then it's totally totally worth it as I'm sure you guys have experienced. Yeah, for sure. So then what was the driving force that led you as you're learning these things to write, call to create a master of one? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, the genesis for call to create was pretty clear. Uh, When this mentor shared these things with me, I was like, okay, this is radical uh, I argue in that book that God was not just a creator. God, he's an, he's the first entrepreneur, right? Mm-hmm. If you define entrepreneurship as I do, which is anyone who takes a risk to create something new for the good of others that describes the God of the Bible. He doesn't take risks in the same way that we do, but he knew when he created us that he was going to sacrifice his son. Right. But he did that. He created new things, right. Uh, to serve us. He certainly didn't need to create need to need to create us. Uh, and he took a great risk to do it. So I, I just had a lot of specific questions about how the gospel shaped my specific work as an entrepreneur. And so I went out and did a bunch of interviews, uh, did a bunch of research, filled up a moleskin filled with notes. And that was, I eventually realized there's a book here and that book was called The Create, uh, which is really helping us all see that, um, yeah, we're not saved to consume. We're saved to create. We've been set right to go out in this world and create culture, uh, whether that's through music or the arts or entrepreneurship or whatever. There's lots of different ways that we create. And the master of one was this book that was kind of a response to that, right? So if we believe our work matters to God, as I say in, in Called to Create, then we should care about doing it really well right? We should care about doing it with excellence. And that's what Master of One is all about. Master of One was a call for the church to embrace the ministry of excellence. uh, And it offers a strategy for how to do that, which is focusing intensely on one thing at a time in each season of your vocational journey. Uh, So yeah, that was kind of the genesis of those uh, first two books. I I find it interesting that you um, really like you were saying, you focus, you're focusing really intently um, on one thing at a time. That's kind of what you've done with, with your books. The first one's about calling. The second one's about mastery. And now yeah. redeeming your time is about 
time management um how how has god strengthened your faith and understanding through through writing these books as you've gone mm. through each season and focused intently on these different things it's so that's such a good question um <clears throat> i think he's constantly reminding me that i am called to trust him to produce results because all throughout scripture, it is very clear that we don't produce results through our work. I am incapable in and of myself to write any words or sell any books. He does that through me. Uh, so I'm called to trust, but I'm also called to hustle, right? Mm -hmm. And this word has become a curse word in a lot of Christian circles. And I think that's unfortunate because all throughout the gospels, Paul is telling, all, all throughout the gospels in the New Testament, Paul's letters in particular, Paul's telling us that part of our response to the gospel is to work freaking hard, right? Colossians 23, 23, to work heartily as under the Lord. I, there's something like 15 times in Paul's letters where he talks about how hard he worked. One of my favorite ones, he says he strenuously contended with all the energy he had for the sake of the gospel. We're called to work hard. We're called to hustle, but we have to do that while embracing the tension that, yes, we hustle, but we also trust that God alone is going to produce those results. And when we hold that tension well, I think is when we are unable to rest. And in order to hold that tension well, we have to have faith that God is going to be the one producing the results through our work, not us, right? So why do you think it's hard for people to live for God in their everyday lives? We live in a world where the emphasis on is le on leaving a legacy, um, so how does your motto of bringing the glory to God and um, bring glory to God and serving others shift people's focus and realign our priorities? That's a great question. Yeah, I, I think it just forces us to really dwell on what truly matters into eternity. Um, mm -hmm. and, and that means doing our work in ways that are in accordance with God's commands. It means doing work that is trying to fix what's still broken in creation and that has no place in the kingdom of God, in the eternal kingdom of God. And I don't mean that this means that, well, our work only matters unless we're sharing the gospel. I, I think mm -hmm. this is a lie that we need to eradicate from the church, right? Jesus did not spend all of his time preaching. In fact, he spent 70% of his adult life as a carpenter, right? Uh, it, it's, it's clear that our work matters far more than sharing the gospel, as important as that is, right? Uh, but yeah, I think it's, it's, it's it focusing less on the legacy of our name and making a name for ourselves and losing ourselves in a grander drama uh, of God's kingdom building project in the world, right? Uh, I think that's the biggest storyline possible for our work. You know, sacrificing our own personal legacies for the legacy of the kingdom and what God's going to finish uh, in his own, in his own timing. I, I'm just one of billions of actors in that story. Um, and ironic, that seems like a very small view for my work, but I would argue that's actually the biggest possible view for my work, because I know that as soon as I die, the work is going to continue. If the things on my to-do list are on God's to-do list, he's going to finish them with or without me. Uh, that to me is mm. inspiring and freeing. I love um, particularly what you say about um, Jesus in the start of your, your new book. Um, culturally, 
do you think his lifestyle is still relevant and possible today? Yeah, I do. Absolutely. That's why I wrote this book. So um, Redeeming Your Time, this new book, is really looking at the Gospels, not just for their theology and their ethics, right? I think a lot of times the church, we look at the Gospels exclusively for their theology and their ethics. And we forget that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are biographies of the life of Jesus of Nazareth. And by the way, Christian or not, I think it's pretty hard to dispute that Jesus was the most productive person to ever step foot on earth. Of course he was. He was 100% man and 100% God, right? And I think when you look at the Gospels through this biographical lens, I think you can see at least seven timeless time management principles for how Jesus was so purposeful, present, and productive, right? Of course, the Gospels don't show Jesus with a to-do list or a smartphone, right? But they do show him dealing with distractions at work. They show him frequently dissenting from the kingdom of noise and fighting for silence and solitude. And they show him seeking to be busy without being hurried, right? So in other words, I think that's what all of us are struggling with right now. How do we be busy and unhurried? How do we escape the kingdom of noise? How do we fight off distractions so we could do deep work and cultivate deep relationships at home? And while the practices in how we do that are going to look different in the 21st century, I think the principles still apply just as they did for Jesus and his disciples in the first century. Yeah, because believers, we, we're called to, to use our time wisely. Um, and yet it seems that we're stuck um, in this world's vortex that never stops spinning. It's just like I've, I used the, um, the analogy this week of like that we're on a carousel ride and that we just keep going round and round and round. So what is your advice of how to get off the ride and obtain that peace that everyone longs for? Yeah, so that's, there, we, we could go in a million different directions because I do <laughs> think there's a lot of answers to that question, but I'll just give one. We have got the, thir the third of seven principles in redeeming your time is what I call descent from the kingdom of noise. I already mm -hmm. touched on it a second ago. This is critical. We are just consumed nonstop with noise. And by noise, obviously I'm referring to our smartphones, the easy culprit, obviously social media, but also some non-obvious stuff like nonstop podcasts in our mm -hmm. ears. By the way, I produce podcasts. I'm guilty of this, right? Uh, nonstop, uh, yeah, nonstop audiobooks, nonstop news, I think may be the mm -hmm. biggest culprit here, right? Uh, we are constantly engaged with our thumbs in our ears mm -hmm. and never engage with our thoughts and our minds. This is crazy. It's why most people have their most creative ideas in the shower because it's the last place on earth where there's no noise. And, and this just stands in stark contrast to the life of Christ. Go read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The number of times they show Jesus withdrawing to a lonely or solitary place is mind boggling. You almost read this big did Jesus just sit alone like all the time? Like, I don't understand how he had this much time for silence and solitude. And that is just, um, it's just in stark contrast. So in the book, I have these seven principles in redeeming your time. And I map those seven principles to more than 30 practices to help us live out those principles in the 21st century. And this chapter alone, uh, chapter three, December the King of Noise, I have nine 
practices because I just think we need a lot of tools at our disposal to dissent from the kingdom of noise. Um, I know like probably all of these principles are just as important as each other and you want people to use them in combination. Is there any, is there any maybe one principle or practice that you believe like is a key component for getting out of the state of being swamped? Yeah, man. Uh, I do believe you need all, all the principles, not necessarily all the practices, right? Uh, because so often we come to time management books and they only contain one key to the time management puzzle, one piece of that puzzle. Uh, and we expect it to solve our problems and it can't in and of itself. It's part of the reason why I wrote this book. I'll say this real practical, uh, and just sticking with this principle of dissenting from the kingdom of noise, very easy thing. All everyone listening can start doing today. Just stop filling the crevices of your day with noise. Mm-hmm. Uh, What do I mean by crevices? I mean, the next time you're waiting for your coffee at Starbucks for five minutes, be the one person in line not looking at their phone. The next time you have a 10 minute errand to run in your car, don't press play on the podcast, even if it's my own. Just (laughs) sit there and think and be creative and prioritize your to-do list and listen to the voice of God, right? Just sit there and be quiet. So just really small, really practical thing. I'll give you one more. Um, I stopped reading, listening to the news 100% cold turkey about six years ago. I realize that's extreme for most people and most people aren't willing to do that. Uh, I would encourage you to give it a shot though. But if you're unwilling to do that, just stop swimming in infinity pools of content, right? Uh, Infinity pools are news websites that seamlessly scroll from one story to the next or Instagram stories, right? Opt for finite pools of content, right? Uh, A daily news roundup or at the risk of sounding like a 90 year old, a physical newspaper. Like that's a beautiful thing in today's infinity pool obsessed world. In the words of the New York Times masthead, it's all the news that's fit to print. And there's a lot of beauty in being confined uh, to that space. It's yeah. I mean, I can attest this book is the perfect cheat sheet on how to complete the puzzle of our time management crisis. I mean, you say in your book that like, we're not going to put all the practices in one go, but I've been like implementing them and it's been, it's been amazing. And I'm, I'm curious. Right, so let me ask you, no, okay. I'm going to turn the mic. I'm going to flip the mic. Which practice has been most life-changing for you, Hannah Rose? I I would have to agree with the noise part, like the the descent of noise. That that one for me and and, um, the prioritizing your time of doing the, of doing your, um, the timesheet to making every minute count. And even the the five-story building to me that you you have, I think it's in chapter five was the best it was as soon as I read the descent from noise that got the noise out then it was like right what are my priorities and I could actually hear God for the first time instead of the noise I was putting in my head it was okay God what priority should I be focusing on so for me it would be those three combined because yeah it just it made my time so much more I mean today I'm like I've got so much time where like is time slowing down what what do I do next (laughs) I've heard that from so many people who have read this book, which is amazing. So Hannah, Hannah Rose, you hit the nail on the head. 
Uh, everyone wants to prioritize their to-do lists. When you talk to somebody who's struggling with time management, they're like, oh, I have such a hard time figuring out what I'm saying yes to, what I'm saying no to. And in the book, I walk readers through this five-story building metaphor to help you prioritize your to-do list, right? So the top level, level five, is your mission in life. Next floor down are callings, long-term goals, quarterly goals, bottom floors, projects, and next actions. And then the basement are what I call posteriorities, right? So if everything above ground is our priorities, everything beneath the ground is out of sight, out of mind, posteriorities, your avoid at all cost list. But Hidenors, you're so smart to point this out and make this connection. It is impossible, I would argue, to effectively prioritize our to-do list, to discern the essential from the noise until we turn down the noise, right? Mm -hmm. That's why chapter three, uh, 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 principle number three, descent from the noise, a kingdom of noise comes before principle four, prioritize your yeses. We need time of stillness and solitude and silence in order to prioritize the many, many, many things that we've committed to. Absolutely. And it's completely revolutionized how I'm how I'm working and what I'm saying yes to. And, and that was another point that you made that I never thought about is when Yeshua says, let your yes be yes. And we're just like, oh, so we can't like we're not supposed to swear on anything or promise on anything. But it's like when we say yes to a commitment or anything, that's us saying. So we have to be so careful of what we're saying yes to. And that has really stopped me. I actually apologized once because I was like, oh yeah, we should totally do that. And I'm just like, you know what? I was never going to do that. That was just me saying that. And I have to apologize because it wasn't the right context. So it's each part of this book is, is like, you know how you can, you can, when you get a puzzle, you can do it in any order and, and you can create it, but with redeeming your time, it's such a specific puzzle. It's almost like paint by numbers because you have to go in order and to get the complete puzzle in the right picture. Yeah. But I hope you, and I know other readers have found this, even though there is a sequence here, mm -hmm. there's also a lot of freedom, right? Oh, so absolutely. I say, listen, <laughs> These seven principles, I do believe, are direct from the Gospels. Uh, and so I think the principles are non-negotiable in a lot of ways if we want to be purposeful, present, and productive like Christ. Mm -hmm. But the practices, the 32 practices and how we live those out, those aren't biblical at all. That's this guy's opinion, <laughs> right? And lots of experimentation over time. And thus, I encourage the reader to make them their own. Whatever works for you works. So long as we're starting with the word, letting our yes be yes, dissenting from the king of noise, and so on and so on. Wow, that's good. That's good. That's it's fascinating for me as someone who has has yet to start implementing these these practices. I'm 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 looking forward to uh, to trying it out. Um, I'm I am curious as to. If you have any um, specific um, moments or situations um, that you've been in um, just in daily life that have, have kind of made you connect the dots in your mind with one of these practices and thought, wow, okay, um, you know, either before or after you've implemented this stuff. Yeah, yeah. So um, I... Even before my friend Cal Newport published his book, Deep Work, great book. That's probably about, I don't know, six or seven years old now. I was implementing deep work. I was living this lifestyle. When I was at the office, 
Um, I had no emails pinging for my attention. My phone was on do not disturb. And I was fully focused on one important task at a time. But then I would come home and I would turn my phone off of do not disturb. And I would be distracted all the time by text <laughs> messages or like whatever. And at some point I realized how absurd this was. And, and, and I was really honestly ashamed of how committed I was to excellence at work and how little I was committed to excellence as a husband and a mm. father. And so a big shift happened in my life when I realized I don't want to just do deep work. I want to live a deep life. And that requires uh, just confining when messages uh, and digital devices can attract my attention. So uh, what I started doing when I got home from work, I would take my cell phone and I would, for the two and a half, three hours I would spend with my wife and my kids in the afternoons or in the evenings, would temporarily convert my cell phone into a landline, essentially, <laughs> right? I would take my mobile phone, I would stick it into my master bathroom, right? And I would, it would still be on do not disturb. So VIPs needed to get a hold of me, they could get a hold of me. It would ring and I would go to the master bathroom and decide whether or not I, I wanted to pick it up. But other than those very few exceptions, and it almost never rang because I'm not that important and neither are you, anybody listening to this, <laughs> uh, you'll be shocked at how few urgent things actually come up in life. Uh, but with, with the phone in the master bathroom, I was able to be fully focused on my kids. There was no temptation to check Instagram. There was no temptation to check messages. And going back to Instagram for a second, I, man, I don't know if I'm just like weaker than the average person. I can't resist the temptation to nope. check all the time. I have tried everything. Who are we? Screen time limits are not working. This is a joke, right? Oh. Like this is not a thing right? Uh, dragging Instagram to a folder on the third screen of your phone isn't working. Who are we kidding? So uh, for Instagram, actually, I have another tip for Instagram. One of them is put your phone in your master bathroom while you're trying to be fully focused on your wife and kids. Another thing I've started doing though, even during the workday, I've started deleting and reinstalling Instagram every 24 hours, which is an enormous pain in the butt. Uh, but that's the point. I have created a ton of friction to make it, imp I will never just be tempted as I'm walking to get a cup of coffee to download Instagram, you know, type in my login information, et cetera, right? Uh, and it's been a game changer. I go in once a day, I check my messages, I post a story and I get out because I am not strong enough to resist the urge to check it all the time. I can relate to that. I can relate to that for sure. I think I need to do that. I've been wanting to have like a social media just break um, for a while. But I always see like people go on Instagram and they're like, oh, I'm taking a seven day break and then they're back. And I'm like, I don't, I, I don't buy it that those like seven day breaks work. Like I feel like if I were to go off it, I would go off it for real. <laughs> I had a hard time for Yom Kippur Day of Atonement this year because I, well, I always turn off my phone and I don't use any social media. Um, and I found this year that then because I hadn't used it all day, 
I used it even more in the evening. So I was like, I have to catch up. And then my, my screen time went shooting up because I couldn't get off. And I was like, I haven't been on Instagram all day. So this doesn't like, this doesn't count. And it was so bad. So I do need to work on that for sure. I want to make, I want to make this clear before we move on. Cause I think a lot of people hear this conversation about news and social media. Be like, What in the world does this have to do with time management? I would argue everything, mm-hmm. right? Because in order to manage our time well, we have to prioritize our to-do lists well. And we can't do that unless we have space to think and be creative and listen to the voice of God. And I would argue that a prerequisite for those things is dissenting from these kingdoms of noise. It's critical. Yeah, and you say in your book that once we realize that God accepts us no matter how um, many good things we do, we want to be productive for his agenda as an act of loving worship. So how do you remind yourself of this truth daily when the pressures and busyness of life start to get overwhelming? I remind myself by reminding my kids of this (laughs) in slightly different language. Uh, I I have three little girls seven five and one and the seven and five year old every night when I put to bed last thing I tell them say hey girls you know daddy loves you no matter how many bad things you do and they say yes I said you know I also love you no matter how many good things you do and they say yes I say who else loves you like that and they say Jesus right what's the application for me what's the application for us if you can believe <clears throat> that the God of the universe died for you when you were his enemy, (laughs) certainly we can make the leap to believe that he loves us regardless of how productive we are or unproductive we are, regardless of how many bad things we've done or how many good things we've done. So that is what enables us to rest. That's how the gospel is our source of rest, but it's also the source of great ambition, right? We talked a little Mm -hmm. bit about this a little while ago, right? Because working to earn somebody's favor is exhausting, right? But when you're working in response to unconditional favor that's been given to you, gifted to you by the God of the universe, that's intoxicating, right? You're not doing work because you need to be productive. You're doing work because you want to be productive and bring joy to the heavenly father who is giving you this eternal security and peace. Yeah. It's and, and it takes the pressure off as well, because we again, we, we have this pressure of we have to if even even in most um, time management books, it's like make every moment count, make every second count. So then it's like the pressure of, oh, we read this book, then we have to keep going. And what I love is um, like, I don't want to give your whole book away because I really want people to no, read give it, it away. <laughs> I but the end is like, all of a sudden you've, you've given all these principles and practices and then you're just like, but give yourself grace. And then you even have a whole chapter on rest because it's like, it's not about going, going, going until you collapse. It's like, you, we need to rest. It's, it's scientifically proven for our bodies. And then giving yourself grace when it doesn't work out because again, our lives are not our own. So we have to be ready for God to be like, oh, let's just switch this or let's take you over here or this isn't going to work today. This is your agenda, not mine. And we have to be ready for it. Hey, I'll give away the end of the book because I think <laughs> this needs to be said. Listen, uh, the, the, the full title of the book is Redeeming Your Time, Seven Biblical Principles for Being Purposeful, Present, and Wildly Productive, right? Mm-hmm. As the title suggests, 
I'm a huge fan of discipline. I'm a very disciplined guy. And I believe when you look at the gospel biographies, Jesus was crazy disciplined with his time. The apostle Paul, all throughout his letters, celebrates discipline. So discipline is this good, God-given thing. Mm -hmm. But, big but, as with any good thing, we sinful human beings can easily turn discipline into an idol that crushes our souls, right? And, and that is my, that is where I tend to err. And, and so my final warning to readers at the end of this book is, please don't do that. And so I, I offer two symptoms that we know that we've crossed over to what I call the dark side of discipline. The first is when we're unable to extend grace to the less disciplined people in our lives, right? Mm -hmm. So for me, what this looks like is if somebody shows up late to a meeting or, I don't know, drops a ball on a project, they forgot to do something, right? On my worst days, I'll never say this uh, externally, but internally, I can just be seething (laughs) with this self-righteous anger that is really just trying to cover up the fact that I've made the exact same mistakes before, right? And and right here, this, the solution's gospel. It's reminding myself that I didn't do a single thing to be a productive person. Everything has been given to me. Everything has been graced to me. I've had mentors and books and software that helped me redeem my time. I didn't do any of those things. They're all gracious gifts to me. That allows me to extend grace to others. But the second sign I've crossed over to the dark side discipline is when I can't have grace with myself, all right? If I, you know, for some reason don't complete everything on my to-do list today, or I, you know, only get six hours of sleep instead of my regular eight, I'd be very hard on myself. But again, solution's the gospel. Reminding myself that the God of the universe loves me regardless of how productive or unproductive I am. That's what enables me to go to bed, wake up the next morning and just try again. Not because I need to, but because I want to. It's a very freeing idea um, that we can have this grace, um, you know, in God that I think, you know, the world, the world doesn't work like that. The world doesn't advertise this. It's very, you know, you must rush, you must be busy, you must grind yourself into the ground to, you know, to, to get anywhere. Um, so particularly I know for myself, like being in a, like the creative industry, a lot of competitive, um, musicians, a lot of competition for, for, um, jobs. It, it, it can definitely feel, um, I get a lot of imposter syndrome, like, oh, I'm not, you know, I'm not good enough. Um, there's always going to be someone better. So, um, yeah, I think this is really, really valuable, valuable stuff. And the great thing about this is it's, um, it fits for everyone, you know, there's, there's no, um, job or career that this wouldn't be relatable, um, mm. to, um, before we move on, I just wanted to, um, talk about one of the people that you mentioned in your book who is a hero of mine um so I thought we could um talk about that because I'd love to hear your perspective on this person's life um William Wilberforce (laughs) what a guy um have you seen the film Amazing Grace of course (laughs) (laughs) I was brought up on that film and it's it's one of my favorites to this day um I'd love to um just hear about how how he's influenced um 
your life and if you if you think um we can implement parts of these historical people's lifestyles in this immediate modern world that's so different i do absolutely so um if you're unfamiliar with william wilberforce's story wilberforce lived in the mid uh 1700s uh and is famous for no small thing uh abolishing the slave trade throughout the british empire uh but here's what's so great about wilberforce's story when he was 21 he was elected to the british parliament but uh it wasn't until he was 26 that he came to faith in christ that's when he converted to christianity uh he almost dropped out of parliament but thank god uh john newton who wrote the hymn amazing grace told him that he'd be a moron if he dropped out of the British Parliament, basically, right? He's like, no, like, you drop out, you change your relationship to your work, right? And so Wilberforce changed two major things uh, after he converted to Christianity at the age of 26. Number one, the object of his work in Parliament changed greatly, right? Uh, before, it was all about, honestly, just like accumulating more power and wealth for himself. After his conversion, he decided... I'm going to make my big, hairy, audacious goal of my life, abolishing the slave trade throughout the British Empire. The second thing he changed was how he stewarded his time, right? It's the first story I tell in the book because it kicks off the whole thing. Uh, By his own admission, William Wilberforce was, quote, unconstitutionally weak with regards to self-discipline, right? So if you're sitting there, Beck, I could never redeem my time. There's no way. I'm an undisciplined mess. I'm a creative. Whatever your excuse is, I would point you to the journals of William Wilberforce. This guy who thought he was a mess and totally undisciplined end up, ended up abolishing the slave trade in his lifetime and is one of the most productive people to ever walk the earth. If he can do it, you can do it too. Mm. Yeah, and for those who want to do it and who want to um read redeeming your time you also jordan um include um a a coaching community a seven-week coaching community that you're doing right now um to accompany redeeming your time can you tell us a little bit about that yeah so listen the the book in and of itself can solve a lot of problems for a lot of people on this topic but in my experience books that are this practical uh are tough to implement on your own. Like a lot of people need the accountability to keep reading it and keep doing the practices. And they want coaching. They want to be able to ask hyper-specific questions about their specific scenario. And so that's why we launched this Redeeming Your Time coaching community. Uh, it's, 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 a, it's a seven-week program where I lead a group of people through the book slowly. We do one chapter. This is not, Mm -hmm. this is the worst beach read of all time. I just (laughs) want to go on the record and say that this is not a book you're going to read over, you know, five hours at the beach. So I walk readers through it really slowly week by week. And then we just hop on Zoom for an hour, once a week, answer questions. I text message everybody throughout the week uh, to see how everybody's doing, check in, answer any questions there. And it's just been one of the most amazing experiences for me, uh, but also more importantly for the members. Hannah Rose, you did this. Uh, okay. And I had so much fun doing this with you and other people. We're doing another round of it right now. Uh, yeah, it's a blast. 
Yeah, I, I can attest. Like it was amazing. And I think you're still doing 60% off right now until yeah. October 18th for those who want to join the next one, which I highly recommend because the book is so amazing in and of itself. But then when you're doing it alone, you can slip up or you can have trouble because then you can either put too much on yourself. So the weekly Zoom calls to really discuss the things in the chapter were so amazing. And then even after the fact, I we're now in another accountability group and we're going through it again and we're doing a chapter now every two weeks because we're meeting every other week. And then we discuss it, but it's like, because there's so much to gain from it and we're not alone. So then if we have trouble, we just come on and just chat with one another, either on email or on our Zoom calls and be like, right, what's going on? How can we use it um, and and make, make our lives easier and also um, give ourselves grace so that we're enjoying life and feeling like we are we are doing what matters without this this whole pressure on ourselves of making it an idol. I love it. So uh, that's a great testimony. See, I shouldn't talk about my own products. I should just <laughs> let people like Hannah Rose talk about them. But yeah, there's still I think like two days left, three days left to get into the coaching community. It's ninety seven dollars. After that, it'll be two hundred and forty seven. Uh, but it's just jordanrainer.com slash R-Y-T-C-C stands for redeeming your time coaching mm-hmm. community. And uh, yeah, you can get in there. The link is in the description below or above Perfect. wherever you're Look, reading There you this. go. There you go. Perfect. <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> yeah. No, it sounds like a really supportive community. I know I've taken like, I've read a few like self-help books before and not, not having that community definitely it's makes it much harder. I've, I've dropped out of a number of of those. (laughs) You and Um, many others. Um, so we're curious as to what is next for you. Are there any projects you're working on that you can give us a sneak peek of? Oh man. Uh, yeah. Can I share my screen? I wasn't planning on doing this, but am I able to do that? Um, let me see. Wait. Yeah. Okay. I've just allowed it. Go ahead. All right. All right. So, uh, yeah, I'll share something. So <laughs> I am, I, I'm working on a children's book that comes out in April, April 5th. It actually just quietly went live on Amazon. You can find it. It's called The Creator and You. And I wanted to, in 387 words, give my kids a vision and your kids, the kids in your life, a vision for what scripture says about the importance of their work. It's kind of how we started the conversation, right? Uh, and so this is what we're working on. I'm super proud of it. The illustrations are epic. So here, I'll just read it to you. So we get everyone cuddling close. We're going to have story time uh, with Jordan. And let's do this. So in the very beginning, a long time ago, God created the world so that we would all know that he himself is a working God. Though you might think that sounds just a little bit odd. He didn't go to an office, a school, or a cafe, but he worked nonetheless, much like we do today. On a world dark and empty, he drew up his plans to make oceans, the sky, and even the land. With his work just beginning, he rolled up his sleeves and built mountains and rivers and towers of trees. He grabbed a big brush and painted the stars and dressed up the sky with Saturn and Mars. With just a few words, he made creatures appear, like polar bears, penguins, alpacas, and deer. P.S. To this day, I don't know what an alpaca is. I have no idea why I wrote this <laughs> Never word. Never tell it the difference. Sounded, <laughs> it just sounded really good. 
I created the world in a matter of days, a world for exploring, for work, and for play. Before his day off, God had one more to do. On his sixth day of creating, God chose to make you. And now you might think that our story is ending, but in fact, this is just the beginning. God made you to look like him, to act and work and create with him. Because while in six days, God created a lot, there's so many things that he simply did not, like bridges, baseballs, sandcastles, and s'mores, God asked us to create and fill the planet with more. So grab a blank sheet of paper and create with your hands or draw up some plants for a lemonade stand. Roll up your sleeves and build epic tree forts and someday build cities and towers and ports. With your very own brush, paint your own starry night or engineer a space shuttle and blast off into flight. With just a few words, write a book or a song that sparks inspiration or a great sing-along. Create new businesses, movies, medicine, and hope make laws or computers or a new telescope. Because when you work or you make something new, you are doing what God has made you to do. You are showing the world what your father is like, a God who creates to bring people to light. And when you show others the creator in you, you bring joy to the world and to your father too. There you go. That was That's what so I'm beautiful. Oh my god. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. We're pretty excited about it. Uh it's a pretty it's a pretty special project. So yeah, it is technically on sale now. It won't ship until April 5th, 2022, but you could pre-order your copy right now uh on Amazon or wherever you buy your books. Wow. I love the illustration. It was gorgeous. Oh my gosh. (laughs) It's 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 off the charts. Uh Jonathan the illustrator did a phenomenal job. Well, we will put the link as well there on the go. podcast once we get it uploaded. It'll be there for anyone who wants to pre-order that w- book as well. It was beautiful. Oh my goodness. I want it. I want so I, I don't have kids or even co- like cousins or little nephews or anything, but I want it. <laughs> so uh, here's, the, here's the funny thing. I really wrote it for adults. And hey, I'll tell you this. I'll make sure you get this link too. Uh, I am signing custom dedications to kids to go right at the beginning of the book if you get it before April 5th. Uh, it's just jordanrainer.com slash T-C-I-Y dash dedications. Uh, the creator you dedications. And um, yeah, would love to send out some handwritten notes to the kids in y'all's lives uh, when the book comes out. It's gonna be cool. Oh, I love that. I love that. And so before we see if anyone has any questions? I know on your podcast, Jordan, on the call to mastery, you always ask this question at the end of your interview. So I thought it was fitting to turn it around on you. Yeah. Which books do you tend to recommend or gift most frequently to others? Easy. Jesus Storybook Bible <laughs> by Sally Lloyd Jones. Uh, it's this gorgeous children's book, children's Bible that just shows Jesus from genesis all the way to revelation uh it's beautiful yeah that's the one well that's a great that's a great answer wow that was fast too <laughs> well if anyone is listening right now i know we have Delarina here um and anyone else on facebook if you have any questions please feel free to post them in the comments um or Delarina, if you want to unmute yourself you're welcome to come on and ask um and we'll just give you a second to see 
Delarina, hi. Thank Another you. member <laughs> of the Redeeming Your Time coaching community. I love it. Welcome. Uh, I couldn't miss this. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't miss this. Great, great, great interview, Hannah. Love seeing you again. <laughs> Jordan, how are you? I'm great. How are you, Delarina? I am fine. I am fine. Good. So I've got a question about the people you use in your books. Mm -hmm. I love how you implement their stories to the topics, but do you um, first choose a topic and then search for the stories of their lives or the people are you inspired in, in um, before? How does it such, work? Such a good question. Uh, both, honestly. So a lot of times when I'm, I, I read a lot of biographies as it is just on my own time, even when I'm not researching for a book. And so I'll be finding stuff like William Wilberforce, a great example. I was reading Eric Metaxas's biography of Wilberforce, a book called Amazing Grace. That was the basis for the movie. I was reading that for fun on, on Sabbath Sundays. I was reading Amazing Grace and I saw these lines about how William, uh, how Wilberforce redeemed his time. And I was like, this is perfect, right? I knew I was writing the book. This is like a year before I started writing. And so very early on, I was like, this is the beginning of chapter one. Like I knew Wilberforce was going to slot in. But then there are times where I, I like to start off each chapter of my books, if I can, with a story. And so for Redeeming Your Time, uh, like, for example, I had a, I had a hole in... Um, in chapter four, I didn't have a story for chapter four in prioritizing your yeses. And so my assistant and I did some tracking down and just did some brainstorming of like, where can we find a story for this? And then I remembered I had my friend Tamika Catchings on my podcast. Tamika is the Michael Jordan of women's basketball. She's the greatest mm -hmm. women's basketball player of all time. I was like, oh, I remember her telling a quasi story like this on my podcast. And so we went, found her book. My assistant read the whole book to find the bits and pieces of the story that we needed and we pieced it together. So I almost always have somebody on my team doing some research and going out and finding the stories that I don't already have, but really good question. Okay, yeah. thank you. Good to see you, Delarina. Yeah. Great question. Um, does anyone have any questions um, on the Facebook, Hannah? Nope. I think that's all the questions, but that was a great question. <laughs> it was a great question. I've never been asked that before. Yeah, but that's a, that's a really good question. question. Yeah. It's one of the trickiest parts. Uh, it's one of the most complicated parts of every book I write, actually. Oh, I've got uh, two questions. Oh, here we go. Got two questions. Uh, do do you... Do you have a set place where you meet with God each day? Yes. Uh, my dining room table from 5 to 6 a.m. I follow Martin Luther's method of Bible study. Pick a passage of scripture, read it, and then write prayers in response, writing out four things. The instruction of the passage, right? Uh, something that the passage is leading me to praise God for about his character. A confession and then an open-ended supplication, asking for the Lord's help in living out that instruction. I, I think my mom tried it one time and she took her all morning and all day to do it. <laughs> That's so funny. She's like, I'll try it. And she, she was still in her room and we're like, are you coming out? She's like, I'm almost done. I'm getting there. She was doing all the different. That's passages. amazing. That's so funny. I love it. 
That sounds a super interesting way to do Bible study, though. Yeah. It, it sounds a little a little complicated to get used to it, but yeah, I love once it. you get into it, it, it'll be good. Years. All right, and then the last question is: um, the person says, "I heard that you have created three children with your wife, but as a mama, what else does your wife do to create?" Yeah, it's a great it's a great question. Uh, so my wife creates with me. Uh, in what we're building at Jordan Rainer and Company. So my wife had a stellar career in finance uh, and financial services. And today she serves as our part-time CFO for Jordan Rainer and Company. So she creates with numbers, uh, thank God, because I can only create with words. Uh, I cannot create with numbers. So, yeah. Yeah, I can relate to that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, if there aren't any more questions, um, thank you guys so much for tuning into this episode of Uncancelled Faith. If you enjoyed this interview, be sure to check out our previous episodes and follow us on all social media platforms to stay up to date with the latest episodes. And Jordan, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. We've loved getting to know you better and learn all about how God is leading you to live a unique life of purpose and mastery. We wish you success with this um, upcoming book and the other projects that you're currently working on. If you want to order Redeeming Your Time and follow Jordan on social media, go into the description below for all the links. Until next time, God bless. <laughs>